have to say it. She ain't afraid of no ghosts. And we're back. It is season two. I'm so excited to be back. How are you doing, Erica? Are you excited? I am. It's been a while and it has been quite the ride. In the meantime, I'm sure all of our listeners can um, appreciate what that means. Yeah. Obviously, the world has changed since we last gathered. Um, And honestly, you know, you may have realized from the intro, we've had some big moves within our own lives. I mean, firstly, we're now on the East Coast. Uh, and that was quite the move. You know, we expected we'd do a little bit of, uh, you know, hunting around for the wild and spooky stuff over here. But obviously, the world has changed. COVID has made this year super weird. The move was hard, getting settled, and just, yeah, life happens. Yeah, life happens. Um, and, you know, one other small note. If you, if you follow us on social media, you might be aware, you know, it's not just me and Erica that make this podcast happen. We have two amazing studio cats. Mm-hmm. Coco and Ewok, they help out in their own way. Sometimes you might hear them in the background. Um, Coco specifically, she was a, a key studio mate around here the, the first two episodes of this season. Um, but we do have some news to share. She has unfortunately passed away in the meantime. Um, and so this season, we just wanted to dedicate to her. Absolutely. We love her. We miss her dearly. Uh, please haunt us forever and ever, Coco. We love you. Yes. Need that little little haunted lady. Yes. But also, um, as for this podcast, uh, the timeline sort of got shifted as well. You know, um, it's been harder to get things done with COVID. Obviously, I'm sure y'all are experiencing time in a different way these days. Um, But we decided, you know, instead of waiting for a whole, you know, season to come together, we just wanted to get something out to y'all, especially today, Halloween. Very excited about that. Yes. What was that? Samhain. Samhain. It's the ancient Celtic um, festival that Halloween is based on. Ooh. I'm learning something new already. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we just wanted to release these as we got them. So we don't have a ton of episodes in the can. We have a couple, um, but that means we are looking for your stories. Um, So if you got a story, please reach out to us, Twitter at NPN Podcast or or our website, Mm npnpodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you and maybe you'd end up on this show. And with Mm -hmm. that, I guess it's probably time we get into our chat. (laughs) Uh, We recorded this one way back at the beginning of the pandemic with no idea of what was about to happen. So you might you might hear some references that are slightly dated, but it's honestly kind of wild how much hasn't really changed. Although it's been eight years. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? <sighs> well, anyway, here's something to help pass the time. Let's get into the interview. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, y'all. All right. Tonight, we are hanging out with Mally, a healer with a background in the tattoo industry. Mally, what's going on in your world? Hey, y'all. Um, just a lot of cold, hard chilling in these quarantine days. So, yeah, doing well. I'm grateful to be happy and healthy and just kind of hanging. How are you guys? Pretty good. As good as it can be, you know, like you try to find things every single day to keep yourself occupied and doing something a little bit different than the day before. But time is bleeding. Like, yeah time is a different experience than it used to be. Yeah, I feel like today is a month ago, is a week ago, is probably next week at this point. I, I don't know where one day stops and the other one begins. But other than that, I mean, it's 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 kind of nice to just retreat. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that we're not 
worrying about too much right now other than let's not get sick? Yeah, it's it's such a strange time, but you know, I think there's an amazing opportunity for a lot of people to take the time to really look at some things within themselves and the world at large. So I really hope that's what we can all do. Absolutely. So our our listeners will probably want to know a little bit about you. And actually, I feel like I need to take a minute to describe how we met. I met Mally in a sauna at the Southwester, which is this incredible like retreat place on the coast. And I can't remember if I was on a writing residency or if I was teaching a class that day, but I happened to be there and your tattoo shop happened to be there on a retreat. And I was in the sauna surrounded by all of these like beautiful tattooed bodies. And I was at home. So jealous. (laughs) (laughs) and I at that point didn't have any tattoos I don't know if there's a word for that is there a word for in the industry for people that don't have tattoos um just tattoo virgin (laughs) tattooless me I was very tattooless I was a blank canvas and I had always wanted a tattoo but I was you know it's it's kind of scary your first your first one I was I kind of had a design in mind. I wanted to really like trust the person that I was going to get it from would do it the way that I, you know, saw it in my head as I'm sure like most people think about. Right. And, um, it was incredible to meet you and the crew. And then like a month or two later, I came into the shop and I got my tattoo and we met again and we, we talked a little bit about, um, about your work there and about some things you'd experienced in the shop. And I remember Erica just coming home after this, you know, experience, uh, really like, yeah, she talked about that too for me. She's like, but I met this person who has these like really cool stories about paranormal stuff in the tattoo shop. I remember that, um, it was a while ago, but when I got your email, I was like, I know exactly who that is. I remember where we met in the sauna and then the shop. And so it's, it's so funny how things just kind of come back around. Yes. And I, This is something that I wanted to check in on and not just let go because um, it felt like more than coincidence, you know? Totally. (laughs) And I bring up this story about the sauna because um, I love saunaing. It's something that I fell in love with when I lived in Portland. And it's, it's healing, right? Like there are all these beneficial elements of going to the sauna for your circulation, for your heart for your mind, for your well-being. And it's, it's, it's this healing modality. And I know that it's not the same as the work that you do, but it makes me think of you as a healer. And I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and um, what you do. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that there are so many different ways of healing, you know, it's just different routes of getting there, but sauna, totally, it makes me think of a sweat lodge, which people have been doing for eons and eons to get in touch Mm -hmm. with their inner selves. And I think things like the sauna or things that are sometimes um, maybe hard like that sort of force you to be in a present space where you're able to receive a little bit more and heal a little bit more. So that's kind of the aim of my work. So I've been studying uh, shamanism for about 10 years and a little bit more recently, hypnotherapy and sound therapy. And what I found amongst all of these modalities that I had studied is that it's really about getting into those different brain states so that you can access information and really what I believe is like innate 
healing within each of us. So as a practitioner, it's not really my job to heal anybody. It's just my job to kind of get out of the way and help these people heal themselves because I really believe we all have that ability. So yeah, my work just kind of weaves a bunch of those modalities together and I kind of stumbled into it uh, seeking healing for myself. I had struggled with anxiety and depression for a long, long time. And um, this is kind of finally what did the trick. And so I never even intended on being a practitioner, but it just helped me so much that I felt responsible to kind of pick up the baton. So. Oh, I love that. It's been an amazing journey. So ever becoming. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's wonderful. So you've been studying for about 10 years and how long have you been practicing like as a practitioner? I would say probably about seven years. Um, So my studies have been over the last 10 years and I'm still studying. So I would say that the whole time that I've been learning, I've been kind of practicing on other people or trying to get the hang of things. But in terms of like actually having a business about it, I kind of came out of the shamanic closet maybe like five years ago and started kind of very secretly like asking friends if I could try these things on them. And then probably, let's see, I guess it was November of last year, I just decided to leave the tattoo shop and kind of pursue it full time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's been a little journey. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting. You know, you mentioned like sort of the, the work that it takes to get to the point where you can feel confident, you know, working with someone. I'm curious, what does it mean to you to be a healer? What, what is shamanism? Could you just give us a, a, a breakdown? Sure. Yeah. So shamanism is thousands and thousands of years old. Um, it's not a religion, uh, despite what some people think, I would say it's more of a lifestyle and a way of interacting with things. So um, the way that I was taught is that shamanism is learning how to be an intermediary between this world and other worlds. They often will talk about animism or how everything has a spirit, everything has a consciousness. And it's kind of my personal belief that we're all connected in this like consciousness hologram where we can kind of plug into different frequencies and resonances to get information. And so when people come in, they usually have very specific things they're working on. A lot of times it's self-worth or anxiety or paranormal experiences or things like that. And so my job is to kind of plug us into the frequency of finding out the information that we need to in order to help those things along. And so really what we're doing is kind of going into an altered state together to try to get information from, you know, some people call it the spirit realm. Some people call it your angels or something like that. I tend to think that it's unknown. You know, I don't know if they're spirit helpers or if there are other aspects of myself or future versions of myself or these other people or whatever it is, but Um, When you can kind of get in that sweet spot of, you know, alpha or theta or gamma brainwaves or what we would call shamanic journey, you can get information for people. So oftentimes I'll just be literally passing information along that I see, but with some clients, they're right there with me. So we're kind of like seeing things together. And it's amazing when somebody's like, oh my God, like I felt that in my right rib and all at the same time be feeling something in my right rib. And so it's just this place of 
a different place in time, I guess, or even outside of time where you can get information from your higher wisdom or your guides or whatever you want to call it. Could you give us an example just to sort of paint a picture of what a typical experience would look like for someone coming to you? Sure. Um, You know, it really depends on what people are coming in with. Sometimes like in my case, you know, just really bad social anxiety. I was so nervous all the time. I felt awkward all the time. Um, So if somebody were to come in with me, which is often anxiety, we'll just kind of sit down and just start talking. And a lot of times people, their subconscious will start bringing up information that they didn't even know that they knew until they start talking. And then what I'll do is I'll um, set the space and get us into that trance mode with kind of plugging into the intention of, okay, take us to the origin of where this specific anxiety started help me find any information that I need to know in order for us to unravel it or trace it back to other times where the trauma is connected to, or it really depends on each individual person. It changes from person to person. And honestly, it's like unexpected every time. Every time I do a journey or have a session with somebody, it's so rich and powerful, but unique to that person that it's kind of hard to explain like a linear process, because oftentimes we just go in and see what we get. And that's kind of how it happens. Mm. So it depends. I like that openness. And, and what you're saying sort of reminds me of like the writing process in a way. I am so interested in what my subconscious knows and what it has to say and, and what it can teach me and what I can discover. And, you know, like I've done different modalities of therapy as well. And it's, it, it sounds very similar. And like, getting your brain into a theta wave or, or whatever, like you can do that on YouTube, right? Like you can pull up the frequency and sit and meditate. And, um, we can do this in all kinds of different settings in our lives to different effect. And I like, I think I'm super attracted to like the intentionality you bring to that with your work. Like we're here to work on this thing, discover something about this experience that you're having, um, through using these tools. That's rad. That's so awesome. And I I had a teacher explain it to me one time that intention is like the driver of everything that you do. It kind of like she told me to envision like those old school sounding boards where you call the operator back in the day and like, oh, connect mm-hmm. me to 422. And then you plug into that. And so your intention is so important to know what you're plugging into. You know, if you want to listen to 92.3, you got to turn the dial to that. You can't be off on some random frequency. And so I think really the intention is kind of the main thing of all of it. So you know where you're headed. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Cause I feel like, you know, I remember when Erica was going to get her tattoo, um, at the tattoo shop, like she wouldn't let me come along, um, because to her, it was a spiritual journey in and of itself to go and get this thing. And it's so interesting how even, you know, before, you know, you were a shaman, um, and like dealing with healing on a daily basis, you still on some level to, I'm sure to a lot of people, we're doing that already. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Um, and actually that reminds me of a story. So, uh, w- during my studies, we would have different people from all over the world kind of come in and talk to us about how they approach shamanism because shamanism is found all over the world. And there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. And so we had this, uh, South African man visiting and they do divination through bone throwing. And I, I hadn't been at the tattoo shop very long. And it's interesting because my like shamanic 
practice started really right around the same time that I started working there. But he's like, okay, you know, what do you want to ask the bones? And I'm like, oh, what's my purpose? You know, what am I doing? Where am I going? Blah, blah, blah. And he throws the bones and he just looks up at me and he's like, are you doing blood ceremonies? And I was like, no, oh my God. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, where do you work? And I was like, well, I manage a tattoo shop. And he's like, okay, yeah, you're like literally in the middle of blood rituals all day long, whether people are aware of it or not. People are getting energetically and physically cut open and their stuff is coming out. And so I think that's interesting that you said that because I think tattooing is really also like an ancient practice of spirituality and marking yourselves and in a lot of cultures like about protection or I even was reading that some cultures would tattoo different names on you so that possessing spirits couldn't find you later and things like that and so I think you're you're right it's a really spiritual thing and so that creates like a certain kind of energy in the space that apparently you were carrying with you and um that that person could pick up on. So you mentioned to us at one time that you had also many synchronistic encounters at the tattoo shop when you were working there. And um, I was curious, like, if you had any favorites, like, it seems like there was a really good energy to this place, but correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, so good. Honestly, I feel like that place kind of had a life of its own. And after kind of getting to know the spirits there and the spirit of the building and the spirit of the place, it was... I don't think it was a coincidence that I was there and with the group of people that I worked with, it was just like this amazing place. But I do have one that kind of sticks out to me. Uh, so it was probably maybe two years ago. I was at work one day and a couple months before that, I had done a plant ceremony with some people and um, a couple months went by, was at the shop and a guy that was in my circle came and dropped off some musical instruments for me. Cause you know, I did sound healing and I hadn't seen him in a while. And that was cool. And then right after him, this young, young man walked in who was trying to get on the walk-in list, but we are all filled up. So we turned him away, you know, try to come back tomorrow. Didn't really think anything of it. The next day uh, I was also working and I always was in charge of the bank runs. So I was at the bank. And the young man who we turned away was at the bank and he had this belt on that looked very similar to the weavings that I had seen the women who ran my ceremony wearing. And so I, I just walked up to him. I was like, Hey, nice to see you. I saw you at the shop yesterday. Like, I'm sorry, but what's up with that belt? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, well, it's from ayahuasca ceremony. And I was like, Oh, I knew it. Like, that's so cool you know, didn't really think anything about it, left the bank and went to the grocery store to pick up a couple of things on my way back to work for the guys. And the guy who had brought me the sound instruments was there. And so it was kind of strange to see them back to back two days in a row, but in reverse mm -hmm. order and that they had both kind of related to ayahuasca. Didn't really think that much of it. I got back to the shop and maybe an hour later I was turning over one of the guys and I got this like jet engine sound in my right ear, which is very common for me when I have done those plant medicine ceremonies. It's almost like a dimensional shift. It's like when you kind of blast off, I would always hear that sound. So I heard that and I turned and look and one of the guys I work with, um, I, I, 
I was looking at him, but I was like in a full on hallucination trip for like, I don't know, three seconds. It was really quick. And then on the front door, when customers walk in, there's a little bell and the bell kind of took me out of it. And I turn and look at the door and it was the woman who led my ceremony. It was just like, I was so bizarre. It was all of these like plant things all in a row. So that one's a little bit exceptional, but that's um, other synchronicities in there. I have to ask um, for our listeners and not, you know, just for me, could you tell me what a plant ceremony is? Yeah. So <laughs> this specific one was ayahuasca. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've watched uh, a few documentaries on it. I've never, I've never done it myself. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's actually a synchronicity too that happened at the shop. Um, but I'll, I'll, I can go back to that later, but yeah, plant medicine ceremonies, at least for me, I was just really seeking some information and happened upon this plant medicine circle and basically got my mind blown for about eight hours straight. It's a little bit hard to explain. I would encourage people to explore entheogens a little bit, especially with their relationship to shamanism. A lot of shamans around the world have used plant medicines or entheogens to get into that trance state and get information from the spirits. So of course I was kind of called to it, but relative to another coincidence that I had. So the first time that I had done a plant medicine ceremony, maybe three months before I was getting some healing work done from a man, this amazing Apache healer who I'd never met. And of course I had all these questions for him about healing and medicine. And I said, you know, how do you feel about hallucinogens? I was like gateways to the spirit world. And he said, well, you know, I think just like anything, it's a balance, but I do know this woman who's coming up from Colombia in a couple months. If you're interested, I can give you her info. And so of course I said, yes. And a couple months went by And I remember I was at the shop one day and I was thinking, man, I need a reset. Like I need to get a hold of some hallucinogens or something because I I really need a reset. And I never answered my phone at the tattoo shop because we were always so busy. But right then I just happened to look down and my phone was ringing. It was a random number. And without thinking, I just picked it up. And it was that guy. And he's like, hey, just so you know, she's going to be here in two weeks. And I signed up and that was that. It's amazing how this space has sort of served as as kind of a hub uh, for quite a few of these experiences, not only synchronicities. Uh, and, you know, I know you mentioned when we were talking before, like deja vu and, um, you know, just various, you know, vibes, I think is how you put it throughout the building. <laughs> All the vibes. And, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about this building. Like, what can yes. you tell us about the building? Do you know anything about the history or like where, where you think those vibes might like originate? Sure. I know some. Um, I know it's on the historic registry. So um, I believe the building was like 1890s. I could be wrong about that. Um, There's all kinds of speculation that it was like a brothel back in the day. I'm pretty sure it was a saloon. Uh, Then it was like a crusty punk house for a while. Um, And then finally became the tattoo shop. So I think some of it definitely comes from... I mean, who knows, right? All kinds of things. The history of the building, the history of the land before the building was ever there, all the people who have ever been there, the families that have lived there. And then you throw in, you know, 10 guys cutting people open every day with spiritual (laughs) symbols. It just was like kind of a can of worms in there. 
Um, but I, I never had any scary experiences or at least like terrifying ones, maybe scary because I felt unsettled because I was new to this world, but I never had any, um, like terror. It always felt supportive and playful and, uh, curious. That's how I felt when I was there. And I know what it looks like, but to the best of your ability, could you describe just like what it looks like and and how playful y'all made it in the tattoo shop? Yeah. So um, it's one of those like old school saloon flat front buildings, two stories. And the tattoo shop was on the main floor and we also had the basement and the top floor uh, we would rent out, which was also really beautiful. But um, yeah, you walk in and there's these amazing, uh, like, ah, like what you see in Western movies, those doors that open. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, the Western doors. <laughs> yes. So you walk in and there's the lobby and that's kind of the, um, precipice to get back into the actual shop area. But it's just basically one giant room where you have like anywhere from five to 10 people tattooing at a time. And so there's not a ton of like privacy in there. You're kind of all in it together, which I also loved. It used to terrify me because <laughs> it made me really nervous. But after a while, I was like, wow, just being in this place with all of these people at once was so magical and so amazing. And uh, the way they decorated the building, there was tattoo flash everywhere um, and lots of animal skulls and little mini altars everywhere. So it was, it was a pretty rad place to work. And am I making this up, but was there a statue of a hairless cat in the bathroom? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> there was. Um, yeah, one of my coworkers had got it from a tattoo convention from a guy who casted his cat in a silicone. <gasps> so we got that cat and a lot of the guys would like tattoo it in the evenings. And of course, like we had a couple calls. People were like, oh, you're tattooing a cat in there? And like, no, dude, it's fake. <laughs> Oh my God. Not only leave it to Erica to find the cat in the facility, um, but also that sounds like one of the most Portland things I've ever heard. Um, it's just like perfect. Uh, For sure. That's fantastic. So do you think that that energy in that sort of, I don't know. I mean, I think about the history of Portland, right? It's very dark. There's, you know, everything from forced slavery to intense racism. I mean, the underground tunnels that you hear about that were actually probably in that neighborhood that probably lent some residual something to the area. Do you think that sort of living energy is, you know, was a reason they chose that space or was it just sort of kismet? I mean, part of me likes to think the building like called them, you know, but I don't really know how they happened upon it. I'll have to ask my boss because I'm sure it's a good story. Yeah, maybe he was one of the punks in the punk house. <laughs> yeah, it could be. That could definitely be. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of residual energies there. I think I mentioned the first thing I really noticed was in the basement, just feeling, you know, it's kind of a classic, like cold, crusty basement. And that's where we did all the cleaning and kept all the chemicals. And so I very often was down there by myself, scrubbing tubes and doing things. And I think that was kind of where it first started. And part of me was like, okay, I just started this shamanic stuff. Like I'm probably just excited and looking for things to happen. So I kind of just like kept it to myself and kind of wrote it off. But then um, another manager had been like, Mally, I feel like 
I saw something move in the basement. I saw an apron move the other day. It scared the shit out of me. I often feel like I'm not alone down there. Like, what do you think's going on? And that was like, yes. <laughs> I'm so excited because it felt validating to feel like, okay, there's something else here. And then yet another coworker was like, oh yeah, I've totally felt stuff down there. Like never really thought anything about it. So that's kind of how it started. And then it just kind of opened up from there. What did you experience in the basement? Um, so I'm not sure if it's particular to the basement of this building because I get sensations a lot, especially now that I've been practicing for a while, but then it would be like whooshes of cold. Mm-hmm. Um, I would often get like pressure on my face. Like there's <laughs> kind of a specific feeling I get when I feel like there's a disincarnate around or with somebody. It's kind of this weird pressure on my face. And then I feel very, it's hard to explain, very altered. Like I know where I'm at, but there's a little bit of me that's like not sure what's going on. And that's usually my cue that like there's something here that's trying to get in touch with me or like knows I know how to do this or whatever it is, but it's a very particular feeling. But yeah, in the basement, I would say it started with kind of cold whooshes and Then I started to just kind of ask for my own curiosity, like, hey, I don't know if anyone's down here, but if you are, I just want to let you know, like, I honor you. I appreciate you. My name's Mally. This is what we're doing here. You know, those kinds of things. And that's actually when I felt like it started to pick up a little bit because once I started to engage, it was like, oh, you're listening or, oh, you're talking to us. And again, that's kind of where it started to open up a little bit. Well, there's the difference between you and me, first of all. Like, I worked at this coffee shop that was in a historic building, and when I was there closing up at night, the basement lights would turn on and, like, all sorts of sounds and, like, things would happen, and I just wanted to get out of there as fast as possible because I've seen too many scary movies, and you're like, oh, I need to let them know that I'm cool and that I'm here with good intentions and that, you know, explain some things, say hello, like engage like become friends it sort of seems (laughs) I'm just I wonder like how that sort of shifted the experience um from what it could have been like how did it grow well that's funny I would say that I did that because I was in fact terrified a little bit I was like okay well I'm here I have I'm here alone every night you know I can't just like close up early so often the guys would get done tattooing I'd be there for like an hour two hours by myself Hmm. So I think there was like sort of a a razor's edge of like deep curiosity, especially as I was learning about these things, but also like serious fear because just like you growing up, like I hated scary movies. I hated anything about possession, exorcism, anything like that. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to hear it. It makes me really uncomfortable and very scared. So it was such a shock to me to kind of like now all of a sudden be interested in this stuff. So I would say I was very scared, but it was almost like, well, if I'm going to do this, I better figure out how to do this and just kind of start from there. And what I learned in my studies too, is that a lot of like the big means, seemingly scary ones are often souls that are very lost and confused and need help getting to where they want to go. So once I heard that, I was like, okay, maybe a lot of these are misunderstood and just need some help. Well, I've, I have so many questions. When we were, you know, corresponding back and forth, you actually mentioned that you sort of figured out who some of these spirits were that you were experiencing. 
And I'd love if you could just get into that a little bit. How did you go about that? Sure. So I would say the stuff in the basement happened for a while before I really even knew like what to do or anything like that. And just so happened in like some of these classes, we were learning about space clearing. We were learning about uh, psychopomp, which is basically how to transition souls who need to get to where they're going. And so a lot of these things started coming up in class. And one of my classmates and actually my sister, Cam, who is also like, thank God she's into this stuff too. She started going to classes with me too, because she's really interested in it. And so the three of us were learning these skills and I thought, hey, uh, I got the perfect place to like figure out what's going on and kind of navigate some of this. So they came over after hours one night. It was late. It was probably nine or 10 at night. And we did that intentionally. And we just kind of started at the front of the building and, you know, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. If you like don't want to go anywhere, that's okay. But if you do, that's what we're here for. And again, just kind of tried to massage it a little bit of like, we're here for a win-win situation. Obviously this place is amazing and we want it to be, I really felt like I kept getting this feeling that like they want to be involved. They want a job to do Um, not necessarily the disincarnates, but like the land spirits and the building spirits. So um, took them down to the basement and I was like, you know, this is where I get a lot of the activity that feels more like disincarnate spirits to me or disembodied spirits. And so we went down there, we turned all the lights off and, you know, put some tobacco out and a little candle. And the way that I was taught to get information is to just do a shamanic journey, which basically somebody drums like a monotonous beat like that. And the idea is that again, it like shifts your brainwaves so that you get into a receptive state. And it was really interesting. It was just kind of like a three-way channel between all of us. Like each of us were getting different parts of information. And so two came in that were John and Grace. They seemed um, like the word huddled comes to mind and kind of confused. So we crossed them over and that was really beautiful. But then I don't think any of us really expected it because we didn't know what we were doing really. Like these other feelings started coming up of like my friend who was with me, Mary, just said, cover the chemicals. And I was like, what does that mean? And then we got more information of like, oh, the spirits of the building down here, you know, they they want a nightlight. They want you to say good night to them. They want you to say hello in the morning. They want you to put up curtains over these chemicals because they're down here and just like create a little space for them. They want you to put out bourbon at night. And I've got this sense of like a, an older man and I could smell like cigar smoke. Like he's like, I want a whiskey sometimes. And so there was kind of a lot going on. We were there for hours and hours. And then we finally went out to the backyard and that's where we started seeing kind of some like blue sparkles. And it was like, oh, these are like the land spirits. These are like the, the hidden people out here. And so it kind of felt like this like dynamic community of all different types of spirits. And so that was kind of like my opening experience into actually starting to form a relationship with them. Yeah, nothing big. Nothing huge, you know. <laughs> it's like they threw a party and you came to it and you yeah, like got it to was amazing. Good. And and I think that too is where I really started to realize like, oh, I don't need to be afraid, especially if I'm being 
energetically hygienic with myself and making sure I'm protected and safe. And again, it's that intention that you're going with. If you're setting an intention that you're only interacting with spirits of this frequency or higher, then that's what you're going to get. And it also struck me, you know, when you were talking about scary movies, you said something about exorcisms. And this seems like the opposite of that. Yeah. The way that I was taught is that it's compassionate spirit release or psychopomp, you know, to really try and create a win-win for like, if somebody's potentially overshadowing somebody or some people use the word possession, but it's a win for the host. It's a win for the possessing spirit. It's a win for anywhere else that the possessing spirit might've broken off and split off into other people. You know, you're just giving them their, their choices back so that they can get to where it is that they want to go. And that, once I learned that, I was like, wow, actually this thing that I was terrified of for so long, now every time I do it with a client or at somebody's house, it's like so fucking beautiful. I can't even stand it. I'm curious who you think that these spirits are. Like, have they been there forever? Were they people who experienced that place in some way during their lives? Or were they just simply spirits existing in a different you know, dimension that doesn't have any relationship to our space? Well, I think that there's probably all different layers and answers to that. I think that there's was probably residual energy there that maybe wasn't like conscious energy, but maybe like almost like imprinted or absorbed into the space that was sort of like informing the energy of it. Then I think that certain spirits were probably connected to that house or maybe grew up there or possibly had some sort of connection to it. Then I think probably some of them were related to the people working in the shop, the people getting tattooed at the shop, the people living at the shop. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like the land spirits, I mean, probably a long time (laughs) You know, I really don't know. In John and Grace's case, they were definitely people who had lived and who had died. And I wish I could remember the information we got about how they died, but I remember that it was abrupt and quick, at least with one of them, which seemed to be part of the confusion of not knowing what happened or where they were. So I think that there probably was all different types in there. Earlier, I called it a party. And um, this is just like confirming that vision for me because it's like, okay, well, when you go to a party, right, if you're not the host, if your friend's the host, say, they're inviting all kinds of people that you may know from certain social situations and people that you don't know and, and you mingle. And the idea isn't to like map it all out. The idea is just to be there and have a good time, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So it sort of seems like... I like that. Yeah, the vibe that was there, the vibe that you were trying to facilitate, perhaps. I don't know. That's just sort of like how it feels to me from hearing you talk about it. Yeah, it definitely could be that. And I don't want to get too far off into this, but I think it could possibly be like different timelines coming together too, like past and present, Mm -hmm. like interacting energies, whether... I don't know. I don't know. That's a heavy question, but yeah. You said something a little bit ago about little altars around the shop. 
do you think that's related to the spirits in any way? Or, you know, it sounded like they were there when you started working there. So I'm curious about if there's any connection between those things. Yeah, I would say kind of the whole tattoo shop was an altar. <laughs> uh, maybe, <laughs> yes. maybe consciously by some of those guys, but I think a lot of it was just like, oh, this is cool stuff. And we have these shelves. So let's put all these bones over here and let's put these feathers here and these skulls here. And I could be wrong. It felt more of like a decorative thing and for fun and just all the cool stuff they have. But the altar in the front, again, whether people were aware of it or not, I think just carried so much power because, well, pretty much every night I would clear it after people leave. I would always clear the space um, and I would like put little offerings on the altar. So I would say, yes, like starting to tend to the altars really started to amp things up. But I'm sure that it was active there before I, I ever got there and that the altars, yeah, are definitely part of that. With the offerings that you would leave on the altars, is that something that came from your studies or from somewhere else? Yeah, that came from my studies. Um, I would say that I also just kind of used to do that as a kid. Like it just was fun and playful to like exchange with the earth. You know, I didn't, I wasn't really working with spirits, but yeah, I was taught, um, yeah, that an offering is good, even if it's just an intention. It's like sort of, you know, like if you're having a party, you're going to bring a bottle of wine or yes. something like that. I had a teacher tell me once that making offerings and invocations and calling in the spirits um, really aren't for spirits. They're more for you to get in the right state in order to receive. And so I kind of think the offerings are a preparatory way for you to get into that state. It's almost like an anchor, like an NLP. Mm. It's like you're, you're turning that part of you on through ritual or ceremony. Like, like in meditation, when you're supposed to set an intention on the session, it's, you know, to get yourself in the headspace to, to interact. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're getting into the right, you're turning your dialer to 92.4 or whatever. <laughs> yes. That is definitely the station we would play at this hypothetical party. Yeah. Actually, let's wait before we say that. I need to look it up and see what's on there before we commit. Yeah, it could be like talk radio or something, which may not <laughs> I mean, be terrible. Yeah, this is a podcast, What by kind the way. of party is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been reading this book lately. Maybe you've read it. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. Yes. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Yes. And Robin Kimmerer... That's sort of where I've been encountering this idea lately of of making offerings and having intention, and it has a lot to do with reciprocity, um, with the land interacting with the land as if it was a being, which with each part of the ecosystem as if it was, you know, alive and could interact with you because it can, right? And how that changes the way that that you respond or that you come into relationship with those things. And when you were talking about offerings, I thought of her, right? Like leaving tobacco in the field before she harvests um, leeks or grass or whatever it is she's after. Um, and yeah, that book's been bringing me a lot of joy lately. Totally. Yeah. I love it. And I think it's such a good reminder to be in awe and curiosity about your world and to like see it through the eyes of a child of like, oh, how fun is it? Like having tea parties. Okay. Well, how fun is it to like say hello to the earth and give her some tobacco and like just engage in these playful ways where 
we're we're honoring each other and gifting each other and gifting ourselves and yeah I love I love that do you think there's a specific culture that the idea of like land spirits come from because I was I, I haven't necessarily encountered that in the book that's not what I'm saying but um when I lived in the Pacific Northwest you would often hear at the beginning of like a gathering something about you know a land acknowledgement honoring and acknowledging the tribes um, and the people, the indigenous folks that the land belonged to. Um, or like I'm also of Scandinavian heritage and there's there are all these little like cute stories about, you know, farm spirits and like gnomes that belong to the land and things like that. And I just, I'm, it seems like that's another thing that exists in a lot of cultures. And I'm wondering how you think about land spirits and what that means to you. Yeah. It seems to be common in many cultures around the world to be honoring the land and also working directly with land spirits that are in your area. So I know like a lot of uh, native cultures, you know, there was the uh, bear clan and the beaver clan and a lot of them would be working with like one spirit animal as a tribe because they had, you know, less beavers nearby or bears or whatever. And I think that the land is just another extension of that. You know, we talked about animism and how you, in that book you were saying everything's alive. And so to me, yeah, that includes the land of the spirit of mountains, the spirit of trees and the wind. You know, it all carries consciousness and information behind it. Maybe it doesn't uh, interact through language like we do. But when we get into those altered states, that's the language where we all connect. And so... Yeah, I think it's um, the land has so much information and almost like a they're almost like record keepers because they've seen so many things throughout the ages and through time and space. And I think they're really, really powerful and much different than other spirits. You know, there's like lower world, middle world, upper world, all these different places of spirits are. But yeah, the land, I think, is a really powerful thing to work with, if, especially for people who don't like. No, how, who do I talk to? What do I, how do I get into this stuff? You know, just go sit down and talk to a tree and just see what happens. You'll find that it, it will interact with you. There's your homework for tomorrow, Adam. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a quiz. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's funny you say that though, because it's such a great time um, to do that. I think in a lot of ways, uh, and maybe this will be dated by the time the podcast gets released, but in a lot of ways, the current situation that we're in has sort of, I think in a, to a lot of people brought them back to understanding how important, uh, you know, the land is. We rely on it so much more than I think a lot of people realize. And in the situation where we're all just sort of stuck and I think this is the perfect time to sit and, and reconnect with the land. Like we literally were born out of the land too. Like we are the earth. We come from the earth. We're made up of the same minerals. And the thing I've been thinking about in all this too, is like, you know, we we're asked to stay inside as much as possible or to limit our venturing out. And when I do venture out, life is going on. And I don't mean necessarily in a human sense. I mean, the flowers are blooming. Spring is here. It's gorgeous out there, you know, like the grass is growing and it, it has, this sounds super cheesy, but like it has a life and purpose of its own. And it has just changed the way that I, I witness that 
right? It's one of those things that you hardly notice. Like you maybe appreciate on a certain level, but you hardly notice. But then when you really notice it, it's really powerful. Yeah. Oh, I just got chills when you said that. I think it's, yeah, life goes on. And with all of these unknowns right now and all this fear and literally the world turning upside down, it seems like the earth is actually our best teacher right now of, you know, a flower doesn't try to be a flower, just is one and it and it grows and it dies and it's present. And so I think it's an opportunity for all of us to learn how to be in that state of presence, like nature. It's just, it's just mm. being, and it's just going. And so at least that for me, that's been a big lesson of like, where are you? What are you thinking about? Like be right here. Cause that's where you're at. And I love that approach, you know, even, even to the spirits, you know, we've talked to so many people who have you know, seen ghosts or experienced paranormal things. Um, but I think you're the first person that we've ever talked to that doesn't approach it from like a ghost busting kind of lens. You know, you're coming to it from the perspective of, you know, how, how can we be together? Not, not like a fear-based perspective. Or the scary movie lens, you yeah. know, we're so trained with that. It's nobody's fault, but we're trained to like be afraid of anything that we don't understand. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like steeped so heavily in our culture, you know, Christianity has like put so many things about demons and exercising the bad. And I'm not saying that there's not lower frequency energies and, you know, really upsetting, horrible things. But I think that so much of our society has been seeped in a lot of, a lot of those religious things that to me don't resonate. And like we talked about earlier, it's to me about perspective. You know, are you casting out a demon or are you helping somebody who's lost get to where they need to go? Whether they're playing nice or not, you know, I think hurt people hurt. And so maybe hurt spirits hurt. I don't know. Mm. But um, I think that I don't know what's going on, except that it's a lot more than I ever thought. <laughs> and some of the, like I said, some of the like scarier ones that I've dealt with have um, been really scary. But then it's almost like, it's almost like popping a balloon. Like once we kind of get them to understand what's happening, it's like the whole energy of the room changes. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're in a different space. And then this person sitting in front of you is no longer, it's just, it's hard to explain, but personally, I think there's a lot of mystery about what's really going on. And to approach that with curiosity instead of fear is all about the intentionality and the mindset and something that we can not only bring to this realm, but like with every aspect of our lives in a way. Yeah, yeah, totally. To show up with curiosity and even if it is fear to try and um, temper it with love and try to be understanding. That's that's how I view it. But you know, I know there's many ways, so I, I don't know what the right way is. Do you think that this has some bearing on, I'm sounding so pretentious here, the meaning of life as a whole? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like a big question, but it seems like you're getting at like real questions about like the nature of existence. And I have to, I have to wonder what it's taught you or at least how it's changed your beliefs about, you know, why we're here in the first place. Yeah. Oh man. I've been digging at that one for a long time. And 
I actually, when I first started studying this, I think, you know, spiritual ego can get real interesting and like start to think, you know, what's going on and the nature of reality and then kind of get slapped around a little bit. It's like, Hey, you don't know shit, but that's, but then it's also like, but that's perfect. Like, and that's great. Just keep doing that and let it unfold in front of you. One foot in the, in front of the other. That's been coming up a lot for me is like just the letting go of knowing. And actually in one of my uh, ayahuasca journeys, I was asking the spirits about this. Like, oh, well, like I got to find like the meaning of reality, you know? <laughs> and <laughs> they just showed me just like one. a tower of mason jars all sitting on top of each other. And we went to the top jar and we opened one. And beneath that were infinite more mason jars. And we opened another infinite more mason jars. And the spirits said to me like, you can keep looking, you can keep digging to the bottom of this pit, but you will never find the bottom of this pit, at least in this version of your human self. Like the real answer is that you already know, but you didn't come here as a human to know. You came here to find your way back to remembering. And so stop digging so hard to figure it out and just be and be curious and be open and I, they just drilled into me intention, intention, intention. Oh, it seems like all of this has been um, like, I guess you teach from experience is what I'm trying to get at. I'm not sure how you think about it, but that you were at this, you know, location where so much activity was happening for so many years, um, your experience with healing and, and shamanism. And I'm wondering how all of that um, feeds into the work that you're doing today, like all the experiences that you've had, all of the knowledge that you've gained, what you've uncovered, what you're still learning? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say that a lot of people that come to me for healing work are things that I am either still working on or have worked on in the past within myself. And so, yeah, I really feel more comfortable working with people having had the experience myself of like miraculous healings, like things that I could not fucking handle for so long, physical things, um, mental things, emotional things. And so, like I said earlier, it really just felt like more of a responsibility to carry that over. And it kind of feels outside of me. So when people come and I feel their resonance of where I once was 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's like, I think that's why they've come and why they found me is because they have something to teach me and I have some tools that I can pass along to them that they actually already have. It's just a matter again of like reminding somebody what they didn't know that they already knew kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, yeah, like moment to moment, I'm really trying to listen to just my instincts of when I'm talking with somebody face to face and we're trying to kind of get our plan. It's like, wow, there's so many uh, similarities and synchronicities with my experience that it feels like my journey that was painful ultimately brought me to a place where I can maybe help other people. So that's why, that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, this time has just flown by. Um, I know. I'm looking oh at my God. Yeah. 
I have a ton more questions, but thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing what you've experienced and what you've learned. And, and just like, just being a generally, you know, good person to talk to for so long. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. I just feel so excited to be on with you guys. And it was a really good time. Just such a pleasure, especially like I was thinking about how, you know, your reciprocity with the land and with place also is echoed in your work with people and in your openness with us. And like I said, just a pleasure to hear more and dig deeper into these experiences. Oh, thank you. Thanks for doing this work, y'all. Huh. So I guess it's kind of like you said in that conversation, what Mally did is the opposite of an exorcism. (laughs) She didn't want the spirits gone. She almost wanted to hang out with them. I mean, she really did. She wanted to get to know them. She wanted to create a space for them. I mean, I think like she said, right, a win-win situation for everyone. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And the thing I think that I'm learning from Mally is that everything is really just in how you approach it. And it's, It's how you view a situation. And hmm. and as you said, we haven't really talked to that many people who aren't afraid when they encounter ghosts or spirits mm-hmm. or, you know, we've encountered we've talked to a lot of people on this show that have seen any number of different paranormal phenomena. And yeah, it's frightening. It's scary. I get it. And I don't know if I would be as brave as Mally. <laughs> Honestly, me neither. No, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I would be getting the hell out of there. But you know, I guess that's just a part of what we're kind of trained to do. I mean, we're trained to think that these spirits are bad, mm. that they're they're evil, they're from you know some negative place, and they're there to hurt us. Um, but like in Mally's experience at the tattoo shop, she was focused on honoring the spirits and making them a space and showing them all these ways that like she was not there to do them harm. And that really stuck out to me. I thought that was really interesting that like in her story, like she was just the newest person there after like a long line of people. I I think that, yes, I'm saying something along those lines. And if you think of spirits as bad, it's just really hard to get yourself out of that mindset. It makes mm. me think, so, think of plants again, actually. Um, you plants? know, dandelions. Uh, I was talking about Mally with different, about different plants and uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a plant that you see everywhere, like, I mean, everywhere is the dandelion. And many people think of them as a nuisance, especially if they're trying to keep like some pristine green lawn. Um, dandelions yes. are yes, your worst, yes. your worst enemy. But they actually have lots of healing properties. And, you know, they can help your liver and your kidney and your digestion and your immune system. Like, Google it. The list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just trained to think of them as weeds, right? Somebody de- deemed dandelions undesirable. And therefore, we're not supposed to, to think about it in any other way, right? right. Um, but I don't think they have to be weeds. You know, many people don't. And... I don't think they seriously like need to be bad things and neither do spirits, you know, like I'm going to bring it back around. Neither do spirits. (laughs) We could just say hi um, to the spirit or to the dandelion or the tree or whatever and see perhaps what they have to say back to us. Yeah, totally. I'm thinking back to when we used to have a lawn and like all of the like maintenance time, like just literally like time, like weekends, you know, blocks, of, of so much effort that I just had to put into keeping this space clean based on like, I guess some kind of preconceived notion about what's good, what's bad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I guess that maintenance, I mean, that, that whole impulse to me is, is sort of born out of this 
general desire to control, right? Um, I think we want to control our areas. We want to control our spaces. We want to think that we know everything um, so that we're not surprised down the line. <laughs> and I think um, when it comes to a place, like the assumption of being able to control a space and to sort of take ownership of the, that space is, is really interesting to me because it assumes that the place has ever actually belonged to us to begin with. Like it puts us in this position of like the be all end all, like, you know, rightful, you know, person there. And, and I just, I don't think that's true. And, um, I'm, I'm really curious about that because, you know, like Mally said, the, the lifespan of a place is so long. And as you said, like she was just the newest presence there and it belonged to a lot of, of people and things and non-human people like before her. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the lifespan of a place is really long and if there's one thing we know, it's that weeds come back year after year, spring after spring, all summer long. And <laughs> I wonder what our listeners think about that. Should we buy weed killer or mm. should we maybe bring some gifts to the ghosts? Um, mm. How about this? Tweet us at NPN podcast with your thoughts on the matter. It's good to be back. Go eat a dandelion. Super Secret Club production. Our theme music is by the NB4. Visit our website, npnpodcast.com.